Welcome to the Lost at Home podcast. Here are your hosts, Scott Bear and Jeremiah Johnson. Welcome to the Lost at Home podcast. My name is Scott. I'm Jeremiah, adjusting my microphone right off the bat because... Uh, Professionalism! Well, yeah, that's right, because instead of waiting one. like two extra seconds to, you know, for, to hit record, I just hit record as like, I'll make the sound instead, but that's fine. Hey, uh... Oh, I'm Jeremiah, and uh, yeah, I think I said that right. And I'm Scott. Okay, good. And look at us. We're into our uh, first episode of our next 200 episodes. That's right. Since this is episode 201. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's a long way of saying this is episode 201. So, uh, yeah, for everyone who enjoyed our last week's episode, thank you. We uh, put a little bit of work into that one yeah, uh, by a, pulling through the archives. I, I mean, say, that we, took weeks of research. We, we thought we were going to, like, make it easy on ourselves. We were doing a cop-out, but then we got so tucked into that re- research. We found the uh, that cool uh, um, outro tune, which is something the world had never actually heard before, which I really like that uh, outtake. I, so I it, it was, was good. It was harder to find a wax cylinder player than it was to go through all the wax cylinders of our early well, episodes. And, and the thing, I don't know if people understand this, um, and after doing a little bit of research, I uh, found this out. Um, each wax cylinder could hold upwards of three to four minutes of actual recording time. So that was dozens Oh, I know. Se- I had to yeah. dig them out and organize them by date. Well, it, remember when I started carving the dates into them to make sure they were in order, and yeah. you were like, "You're ruining part of the I show." I was, yeah, because it was like half, like half. Of it. That's the thing is when, but but you you were like not even you never really had to worry about actually doing much recording on them, which is uh, you know thank God for that because that was like, prior to me being we, on the show because we actually had a, somebody in the studio whose job it was to seamlessly transfer between them as we were recording on these cylinders to make sure that, that we could actually get it seamless. We did a lot of audio restoration stuff, too, for, to, to for fix the, the clicks and pops and stuff in between, too. So. For the listeners out there who are curious who was doing that research work for us and getting those wax cylinders together, it was uh, Riggy McGee, the mm-hmm. fourth. The fourth, yep. 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 Which is uh, a descendant of yours, right? Or a, uh, a, a, I don't know if descendant, but a... Um, yeah, it must I'll, be. I'll claim him as kin. Let's just kin. say that. There you go, yeah, yeah. Uh, not very many people do. After he had that um, that bestiality incident, uh, a lot of people have disowned him but, for shame. For but shame. I mean, he didn't go to. I can't. Though, I can't believe that animal raped him and he got blamed for it. I know. Well, first of all, I mean, it was definitely like non-consensual um, being being on uh, his yeah, end. On yeah, his end. Yeah, yeah. Because he was just walking by a farm, and next thing you know, that cow was making him, uh, uh, or bull, I should say, was making him suck his dick. And and it was just like, and of course, when a cop walks up to you, and you got a uh, mouthful of bull dick. Like, it's hard to, first of all, it's hard to talk anyway, because you're just going, What's your problem, officer? Why'd you pull me over? So we didn't pull you over. You're literally in a field, a wide open field in Iowa, sucking a bull dick right now, and it would be great if you could stop that. He's like, I'm being forced to. And then Reagan uh, luckily did not spend a day in prison because he was able to uh, take advantage of a loophole in the system. And the loophole is, it is uh, legal, actually, to uh, fucking suck bulls in the state of Iowa. You, you got my brain turning in a weird direction because you originally said cow and then meant bull. Uh, yeah, I, I corrected myself before I started saying dick. And, yeah, and then my head went bovine. Da- my, my mind no. went down a rabbit hole of how cows are basically standing around naked all the time with their tits hanging out. That's right. Yeah, uh, cows have what four udders on average? They've got, six they got, sometimes. They got, they got some. I, I don't know. I they have, have do between four and six. As, I'm not, as I'm not Vermonters, a as Vermonters, you you know we 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 should be stupid for not knowing this. But I love I would love as a prank for someone to go to like a farm where the the cows, not the bulls, are in the past pasture 
and they put like bikinis around them to cover their nipples. Yeah. But the appropriate amount of bikinis necessary to cover all nipples. That's right. So well, it's just well, ringed I, with bikinis. And I, yeah, and I was actually got that or bras, which is which is, which is sexy. Um, but they, I, I was I, I think you caught your own correction there that technically cows have one udder, but yeah, multiple teats. Multiple so, teats. Yeah. I was yeah. going for total number of teats. Yes, total number of teats. Because the udder is the is the one. TNT total number of teats. You got to get rid of the uh because you know usually anachronize. Well, that's why number total number teats. Total number, uh, like that's for T and of T of wouldn't be Cover uh, those abbreviated teats. anyway. Um, anyway, uh, so episode two hundred was a blast to, to go through and and uh, revisit a bunch of stuff. And um, but we're not going to leave you as that being like, oh, now we're just going to go to back to our boring old stupid shows. No, instead we went right out and lined up an awesome guest for episode two hundred one. And uh, we you, we may have uh, heard us mention it a couple weeks ago. We mentioned on social media. We uh, I, I dropped a little bit of uh, a hint that it was happening by boldly saying it was happening yep. on our That's Facebook right. yes. fan. What group. a hint! <laughs> uh, by the way, if you're on Facebook and you want to join our fan group, just go and apply. We'll uh, we'll look you over and let you join. Uh, you you were always so like bad when you would hand me a, a like a Christmas present, and I'd be like, "Ooh, I wonder what this is." You like let me give you a hint. It's a PlayStation because you're. <laughs> Bad at hints. You literally just, just say, say what it is. Yeah, I don't, like I don't. I still don't think you know what hint means. But anyway, uh, we did boldly hint by flat out uh, <laughs> uh, telling people that we were going to be talking to Mr. Eli Craig, and uh, hopefully that name sounds familiar to a lot of you. If it doesn't, well, let us give you a little bit of a schooling here. Yeah. Uh, Tucker and Dale versus Evil came out in 2010 and was directed and produced. Well, written. Yeah. Co-written. Uh, yeah. Co-written, directed, and produced by uh, Eli Craig. And so was a recent movie that came out around November, December of this past year, uh, Little Evil on yep. Netflix. Yes, which is uh, great. Adam Scott. Adam Scott is in it. It's great. Um, it also has a little, a tiny little part by uh, Eli Craig's mom, Sally Field, as well in there. Um, but it's a, it's an awesome, awesome. Both movies are awesome. Tucker and Dale, we've talked about before on the show, and actually, I think it was an unaired version, which is too bad. An unaired uh, um, horror in the court that we had, I think, technical problems with was a, a version where I took Tucker and Dale versus Evil, and you took Cabin in the Woods, and we were arguing which meta is better. I don't think that one ended up airing because I think we had. Um, issues with the. Um, I'd love to go back and revisit that audio track and see if it's salvageable. There, I think I think that's one where we had like half of it, so uh, we might be able to like literally have half of it or something, or it got lost and it was like a temp file or something. I'm I'm gonna go back and take a look because we actually we loved it enough to actually include it in one of our horror in the court things with Darren Ewing, um, which was a sister podcast that uh, we'll still bring back someday, maybe October of this year or at some point we'll do like a little one off. Uh, we've promised yeah, and that, that was before. Darren Ewing from uh, Troll, Troll 2, 2 the, yeah. the best worst movie ever made. So it was very, very, very meta for us now yeah. to have had the opportunity on our sister podcast, which is now defunct, to discuss Tucker and Dale versus Evil. And then talk to Mr. Craig himself. Darren Ewing and yeah. now talk to Eli Craig. So. Yes, and uh, and Eli Craig, he, he's great at that. And Little Evil, if you have not seen it, uh, everybody uh, out there has access to Netflix, whether you actually subscribe yourself, you know damn well you either have it or you poach a password so check it I out i met someone ASAP. the other day and i asked them if they had netflix and they literally said to me no i have cable there's a and i was like that's not an excuse it's not a reason it's you're doing no. it all wrong oh well it's yeah i mean first and of all I'm like if you i'm like if you have cable if you've got cable although they're char- you see they're char- they're raising their rates though two bucks starting well, in still kind of worth it oh it's totally i'm i'm fine with it i'm totally it's totally worth it two two extra bucks a month i think it's gonna be you know for if they go even one dollar higher then i'll pay that too 
<laughs> probably actually they yeah. gotta they gotta cut I think it up to, I, honestly like if, if it went up to like 15 it'd start to start to question it because i also have prime which is dirt cheap and you get the shipping and i've got hulu for a lot of stuff and that's you know like 12 bucks without commercials and stuff and you know we could talk about our uh, shutters five bucks we can talk about our cheapness uh off air if you want why we got nothing else to talk about we got like another well, 45 well, we minutes have, of the show we have this beautiful interview do you oh wanna, my goodness you're right do you we got let it roll yeah we got uh mr eli craig from tucker dale versus evil and little evil Check them out and uh, enjoy what he has to say about all things life. Welcome to the show, Eli Craig. Thanks for being on. Hey, guys. Happy to be here. Yeah, we're uh, we're huge fans of yours. Uh, Jer and I both have uh, watched Tucker and Dale versus Evil more times Countless than times. I think you should safely be allowed to. And we're happily <laughs> surprised uh, this past uh, holiday season, actually, when uh, Little Evil dropped on Netflix. Uh, kind of helped me out with my winter blues being here in Vermont where everything's dark, cold, dreary, yeah. and horrible. You'd have no sunshine. Uh, yeah. Definitely, definitely love jumping into your second, uh, giant project and loved it. And, uh, we're super happy to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Do you, uh, prefer, are you more of a, uh, are you more on the parenting bandwagon or the college kid or the hillbilly? Which do you relate with? Oh, I think all three kind of fit together in a weird kismet. For, yeah, I think you probably Scott actually has kids, so he might relate to that a little bit better. Uh, I you know, we're we're Vermont, so hillbillies all the way, man, for sure. <laughs> right, very cool. We gotta we gotta line up this uh, sequel someday. But, yeah, uh, that's I mean, and it. we and we do pick your brain a little bit about that, uh, regardless of whether you've been asked way too many times about it. But we're actually gonna, I'd like to actually start out. Uh, you know, you started your career as an actor, um, but you know, with uh, you know some smaller roles, Carrie Two, uh, Space Cowboys. Um, how was that early experience for you uh, as someone trying to break into Hollywood, um, and how did it translate into you becoming a writer and director? Did acting like ease the path forward while shopping around your ideas for your first length, uh, f- uh, full length feature? I think the, the acting just frustrated me to the point where I realized I had to write my own shit if I wanted to do anything really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember on the first job I ever had, and this was after, like, it was after college, uh, and I grew up in L.A., so I was, like, really uninterested in anything that had to do with Hollywood because I kind of grew up around it and was very jaded by it and thought it was filled with a bunch of jackasses as a business and uh so i was kind of in other things but at the same time after working a bunch of other jobs i came back around and said well it is kind of a sweet way to make money if it works and it could be really fun so i i i got this manager that wanted to represent me and i kind of early on got this job in carry two which was uh a remake of the classic carry horror film um and I actually, even though it was a relatively small part, I was in uh, North Carolina for three months shooting it. <laughs> and uh, it was really pretty cool experience. I mean, they, like, I got to get killed. I had a, a cast made of my head where I got my head decapitated. And uh, later in life, I tried to find that that head so I could use it. But, I, was, um, I was just going to ask, like, do you have the head? I would use that for <laughs> shit all the time. Yeah, I could never find it. That's I even bad, went man. to... Um, I went around to, like, the, they have a props house in the back of uh, Paramount uh, who made it. And, like, I went through this prop house just hoping I could find my head somewhere. <laughs> and then I'm sure it's been used on some other, like, low-budget project. I could never find it. Um, but, you know, I, I actually wrote, like, I remember 
looking at some of these scenes and being like, oh, this is just so bad. The writing is so bad. And I, uh, I took a scene and I went home and I like rewrote it. And uh, I turned it into like this goodwill hunting kind of like back and forth dialogue. And I showed it to all the other actors and they were like, Dude, I don't think you're supposed to like write your own <laughs> material. I mean, the director and the writer may not like it. And I was like, yeah, but isn't this better? And they're like, it's so much better. Doesn't matter. But I honestly <laughs> don't are supposed to do it. Anyway, I showed it to the writer and he just basically threw it away. And I realized that I had to just be a writer if I wanted to be a writer. And, um, so I just kind of got really frustrated with that. And I wrote a script, uh, while I was doing space cowboys that actually sold, um, to uh, Tom Cruise's company and then got co- totally like mashed up and changed and like never got made and uh, after that I said fuck it fuck acting basically I just want to make films and I went um, I went to film school <laughs> and I thought well at least I'll get to make films in film school maybe uh, build up some debt but uh, it might give me a path forward uh, to figure out how to just write and direct my own stuff so that's how that kind of worked out. Long-winded story there. Oh, that's no problem. It's exactly what we want to hear. Uh, all these details are exactly what Jared and I have been always curious about. We're long-life horror fans. Uh, horror comedy, I think I, I can speak for you, Jared, saying that this is one of your loves as well. Well, yeah, I mean, actually, it's funny because uh, you, know, you and I, Scott, uh, wrote, you know, you know, parody horror comedy scripts and stuff like that in high school and elementary school and stuff. So seeing somebody pull it off correctly is is awesome. And I'm glad definitely that you got into that realm of writing and directing so you could actually write some of this material. And as far as the, the directing is concerned, um, you know, when, when you did you determine that like from was there any experience where you decided like, oh, I can write, but I really want to make sure to direct everything I write. I know some people when they write something and it gets turned over, they kind of send their baby over and you never know what it's going to turn out to be. Were you wary of that? And that kind of led you to directing your own stuff or was it just uh, out of necessity or, or how did that happen? Um, well, really, it's it's it is hard if you're a writer i never understood how a writer could just turn over something and then hope it's directed the way they want to see it uh and plus to me the directing is kind of like writing is like making the cake and directing is like eating it and so i don't know <laughs> like wh- why would you want to do all this work that's really painstaking and not as much fun and then miss out on directing um you know with that said it's not exactly like you know easy to have a script and then say, oh, by the way, I'm going to direct this. Um, mm-hmm. I came out of, even out of USC film school, I had a, a, a thesis film that I like toured the country and um, went to a ton of film festivals and won a fair amount of awards and got my agent uh, after, um, you know, this is a funny story. I'll, I'll just say this because um, when I was at USC, like nobody could really figure out how, like what's the next step? How do you get an agent? And um, agents had kind of stopped coming to the the festival of short films that USC put on because they were all just so boring. And um, so what we did is we created our own fake film festival called Big Shorts Film Festival (laughs) and acted like these were like the best films ever made, but it was just (laughs) four of my friends and I. And, uh, and we rented out the Pacific Theater in Hollywood, which is an old theater that seats like 1,200 people. And we got this huge bar. We just spent the money to put a bar there, and we, we sent uh, 
flyers and you know advertisements around town, and we sent flyers and um, invites to like every agency. And like somehow, all the agents suddenly thought this was an important film festival to go to. <laughs> <laughs> and we had an, an incredible turnout of like a thousand people in this theater. And um, my uh, we had a, a horror film that came up first, and then kind of a fun comedy, and then this action film that was like too long, and it kind of dragged on too long, and people were starting to get drunk and not sure about this festival. Yeah. And then. Um, and then my short comedy came on, and everybody was just so excited to see like a fun comedy that it tore the house down and got me my first agent. Um, and when I later told him it was just a fake festival, he was like, "What do you mean? I've heard of that festival. Like I, we always go." And I was like, "No, no, I just made it up." <laughs> nice. That's incredible. So, that, that actually like sounds like the kind of things you and I would have wanted to do way back in the day. Like. If, if you can't break in the way that it, everyone man. assumes you yeah. would, then, you know, like, fake yeah. it to make it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, it's actually turned out to be a much happier ending than I expected. I was afraid you were going to be like, so we did all this, and then it was, like, literally just Sally Fields sitting there going, I love you, honey. And then, like, all your movies show it to, like, <laughs> yeah. one person. So That's the opposite. I mean, for, for me, it was always, like, I, I just... It, instead, I always had to kind of be like, "No, you you have to stay at home. <laughs> You're not coming to this. Yeah. because um, it, 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 always people think that really helps, and it kind of doesn't. Um, you kind of there's such a cynical edge toward people that they you know they think they maybe have an in, and you know that mm. uh, especially for me and my character because I just really have to kind of do my own thing. Um, that it really didn't help me if she was ever around, um, and it can kind of backfire. So, yeah. um, you know, really until I did Little Evil, I was like, no, I have no relationship to anybody in the business <laughs> yeah, at all. Yeah. Different last and, names, you're uh, fine, and protected. Then, yeah, exactly, nobody knows, so fuck it. But then when I did Little Evil, I was like, this role could be kind of fun to stick her in, plus I'd get to punch her in the face and knock her out. So, <laughs> um... <laughs> some some psych- psychological things going on there. I guess we'll move on from that. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Come on, everybody wants to fake punch their mom out. I know, and I know. Embrace it's them out. the only way to do it. <laughs> now, uh, right. stepping back a, a, a couple steps, uh, with Tucker and Dale versus Evil, like this was your first project after uh, faking it to make it, essentially. Um, when this movie came out in theaters, did you have any idea that it would become the cult hit it has become today? I thought 100% it would be a knockout cult hit. I thought it from the moment, you know, I was shopping around the script and trying to get, um, trying to get financing for it. And in fact, it was, it was humbling and devastating when it did come out in the theater, and it just, like, nobody saw it. And it was after this most, the most incredible sort of festival run. I mean, we went to Sundance, and then I, we won the um, South by Southwest uh, Audience Award, and it, and it had, you know, it would just tear the audience down in theaters. Um, but unfortunately, we didn't get a good distributor behind it, and it went to VOD, like, you know, whatever it is, like... a. You know, it was like a day and date release. Um, mm-hmm. 
So it was a very small um, theatrical release, and there was very little advertising. And I even went to one of the theaters here, like on the opening Saturday or something, it was there, and there were like seven people in the theater. And it was just soul-crushing. I was like, oh, no. And it uh, it really disappeared for a while. Um, And, uh, you know, people see it now as this cult classic, and it was... It was revived both, um, well, first it was on the torrents, where it, it, it was kind of went, it went crazy on torrents, and then once Netflix acquired it, um, then people really started to watch it again, and, uh, and it took a few years for it to come back around, um, but it was a few years of really going like, I don't get it, like if this doesn't work... I, I, I don't, like that's, that's what I got, guys, like, I don't, if this doesn't work, I don't know... I don't know what's going to be funny to people anymore. No, I uh, um, I remember when it first released on VOD, uh, I purchased it and I loved it. And since then, I've made it a like a kind of thing for me. I, uh, certain comedy horror movies are very ingrained in me, and I love them to my core. Uh, Evil Dead Two, Tucker and Dale, I, I watch them once a year, like as mm-hmm. a ritual. Well, Evil Dead 2, I mean, that's cool to hear those two together. I mean, that was definitely, like, really the sort of inspiration for this, you know, was that sort of fun uh, Bruce Campbell, just campy but wild cabin-in-the-woods experience, you know. Um, Even the cabin, you might notice, looks derivatively like, um, Mm -hmm. you know, like (laughs) Evil Dead 2. And, you know very much intentionally so <laughs> um you know i i guess that i'm i'm really really thankful and proud that it's it's found an audience like you guys over time and it seems like um it seems like it's sort of built over time like it's become a staple for some i've heard some people like oh, i always watch this every christmas with the family i always think to myself land you have a fucked up family but um <laughs> No, those are, those are the is. best families. That's yeah, my yeah, family. Those, those are families that, you know, stick together. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, I love families. I was going to so, say, like, Adam I, Scott I, is in Little Evil, and we watch Krampus with Adam Scott every Christmas. Yeah, uh, you know, I think that that is a pretty good film, too. I, it, to me, that's not an every Christmas film, but I love the, uh, I love the mix of, of, I think they really nailed the mix of horror and, and comedy in there. Um little darker than I normally go, I guess, you know, like I'm trying to hit the comedic notes as much as I can, yeah. but, um, yeah, that's a fun film for sure. Well, and, and, and Tucker Dale, it's, it's unlike any other film that I've seen out there, especially in its, you know, meta capacity and you're clearly aware of, uh, the it's tropes enough to, to, to be, you know, aware of them enough to also know what people are expecting. And, uh, so the, the yeah. two, the, uh, the thing I appreciate about that, the two opposing viewpoints of the characters, uh, or, you know, sets of characters seeing each other as villains and the lack of a very clear villain until the end, um, you know, it was pretty groundbreaking. What inspired that take on like the classic comedy horror genre when you were first putting this together well it was just the idea of what if you know what what is texas chainsaw massacre uh from the point of view of leatherface you know uh and what if he really didn't do anything you know what if he wasn't really wearing people's faces, but it was uh he was trying to you know look fun or something yeah just like Um, yeah just chill in the woods and just have a good time and be alone (laughs) these hippies come through their freaking vw bug van or whatever i just want to wear my skin yeah (laughs) leave me alone yeah i just want to wear my skin i I think it looks cool the ladies love it yeah um you know 
I, I also always, I, when I went to uh, college, I went to undergrad in, in Boulder, Colorado, where there was this, at least amongst me and my friends, this real, like, dislike of, uh, uh, of fraternity and the fraternity guys. And there was kind of, there was like the, the um, I was more like the pothead kind of, I don't know, anti-establishment kind of group of guys that, you know, always just thought the fraternity guys were the biggest douchebags ever. And I, um, you know, and that's because that's sort of what they were at that school. I'm not saying that's where they are everywhere. But, um, and then when I, I worked for a while at Outward Bound, uh, like teaching kids outdoor survival and all this stuff, and they were always so scared that somebody was going to, like, come out of the woods and attack them. And I would say, like, you should be scared at a frat party. Like, you're in the woods. Yeah. You're safe now. Yeah. Like, this is where there's – if somebody came out of the woods, they'd just try to help you. That's, <laughs> you yeah, because yeah, they're probably there doing yeah. the same thing. They're like, oh, I don't want that to happen. Or, yeah. or like, I'm going or... to kill you, but I'm oh, really, yeah, really, I'm really exactly. winded from oh, <laughs> all that hiking. hiking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what you have to be afraid of, and I think it, 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 in some ways – the film works even better now than it did then. I always thought is the sort of duplicity of like, you know, of the frat guy who like, yeah, he seems like he's going to be a good guy, but he's, you know, going to date rape you or something. And, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. That was and, the fun Tucker so Hill that, twist. Yeah. Yeah. So it was that premise. And then just saying, you know, some of the coolest guys, you know, I, I've ever known are like the guys just want to go fishing and, you know, hang out in the woods and, and, um, you know, really kind of create, take those people as real people. And, um, and it, it was sort of surprising. Like, I always felt like it had been done, even while I was doing it. Well, I'm sure it's been done. I haven't seen it. Um, and I couldn't, and then it wasn't until sort of after I did it, I was like, are we, you know, are we really the first ones to kind of flip this? Um, and, I, and I guess in some ways we were in that, in that particular genre. So, uh, I don't know how yeah. because it seems like it was ripe to be to be picked at. <laughs> it, it is one of those things where you see and you're like, ah, why didn't I come up with that? One of those definitely. Where <laughs> like, it seems obvious, but it hasn't been done, and it's just so. I mean, I'm glad you did it because it was it was done impeccably. So, uh, definitely appreciate that. And actually, I guess we can move into uh, the the question you're sick of probably being asked is uh, are there any updates on the Tucker and Dale sequel? I know last I heard was uh, I think it was a panel with Tyler and uh, Alan who were part of the BBC America um, uh, Dirk Gently series, and somebody asked them about it, and he, they, they mentioned something about there being a script not written by you at some point, but it was too terrible. That oh, yeah. it kind of Did that uh, derail the project, or do we still have a chance of seeing you know the boys get back together and, and uh, get into some shenanigans? No, it derailed it for a while. It derailed it for a while, I think. Um, mm-hmm. There was, you know, it, it, the, the trouble with the idea that, you know, this became a successful film after the theatrical release is that like it is a successful film now and the investors have have made their money back and you know everybody's happy but initially it it wasn't really you know it was one of those films that didn't make a lot of money and flew under the radar and then everybody who's a fan of it is like well of course you have to make a sequel to this um but there wasn't really much money in it uh and the the producers were like, yes, we want to make a sequel, but we don't want to pay for it. It might take us uh, five years to make our money back again. Come on. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, and also at the time, there weren't a lot of avenues uh, for the release 
of something mm-hmm. like this. Like everybody always saw that it's going to be either you're either going to do hard horror and have a theatrical release, or you're going to do like a horror comedy. And it's going to be like Tucker and Dale or Evil Dead Two or something that just that grows over time, but isn't the best return for investors. Um, and now there's a lot more, you know, things like I think Get Out really helps the field, even though I don't really consider it totally horror comedy. But it has it has is enough of a horror comedy that it helps the whole genre. Well, you know, there's definitely Agreed. like yeah. satirical elements in there where it's you know it's holding a magnifying glass up to society and in a satirical way. If and, you want to step back a few yeah. years, uh, Cabin in the Woods. That's right. That was uh, Cabin in the Woods almost made comedy horror mainstream simply by attaching a few names to it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So I think I think there's a it's a it's more ripe even now than it was when Tucker and Dale first came out. And plus you have places like Netflix and Amazon and whatnot that will, you know, not necessarily, I mean, to me, if we do Tucker and Dale too, I would really, I'm really pushing toward trying to do it in like a Blumhouse way where you, you make a reasonably low budget movie, but you have the potential to go into theaters and be a big success. Um, just because I think these films are so much fun to see in theaters. And um, as much fun as everybody has, you know, watching it at home with their friends and everything, it, there's nothing like watching it, um, you know, it's at, at South by Southwest at the brew house and stuff. And, um, you know, that, that's really, it's, it's such a communal experience when everybody's watching a, a horror comedy and screeching and, and, you know, laughing their asses off together. Yeah. So, All right, actually. So that's, the, that's the goal. You're mentioning Netflix a moment ago actually brings me to, uh, I think, my next question. Um, talking about Little Evil, uh, this was your first uh, avenue into Netflix, and what we were curious about was what challenges did you face when going into a Netflix streaming route for shopping around Little Evil? Um, we're not actually clear entirely whether you had a finished film and Netflix bought it or if Netflix financed you making it. And we're kind of curious how the Netflix model works with filmmakers. Yeah, well, it's yeah, it's interesting for me. This was they actually financed it. Um, it was something in 2013. I uh, had written this as a spec script, and I I wasn't sure who I was going to make it with. And in fact, I just thought it was going to be my next movie. I'd make it for between five and ten or, you know, a little bit more money than Tucker and Dale, you know, but uh, I didn't see it as a huge budget. And um, and then it got shopped around a little bit, and Universal bought it. And I was like, this, it was the first big sale I ever had, and it was it was like, oh, my God, Universal is going to make my horror comedy. This is going to be amazing. Um, and then it wasn't, because it got stuck in development, and uh, they, you know, it was like a, seemed like a risky film maybe for them to make so they were like back and forth on different actors that would be you know real lead actors that would come into it and let's make it more of a comedy let's make it a little more of a um meet the parents kind of comedy and and so i did a lot of rework on a draft for universal that basically over about about three year period um they'd come back to me with some notes like let's do a new draft for this actor this actor but basically, it looked like at a certain point it wasn't going to get made at all. And, you know, like I was saying, it's like, you know, it's like 
having this baby that is fully gestational and ready to go, but you can't give birth. And I'd been working on it for so long. I was like, I just, I need to make this film. Can I please take it out of Universal and, and take it somewhere else? And so I negotiated with Universal and with the producer who was uh, still attached, who now actually runs the feature division on Netflix, funny enough. Oh. But uh, Scott Stuber was there at Universal at the time. And, um, and we, he agreed to help me get it out of Universal. And so basically Netflix helped me sort of buy it back from Universal. And then I went back to my original draft, you know, after doing tons and tons of work in different drafts for them, went back to my original draft that I had written on spec and I was like, this is kind of the one, this is what I want to do. Um, plus it was lower budget and it fit, it fit the lower budget model, even though it was still really tough to do for that budget. Um, so then once Netflix agreed, it was, um, it was really like on us to just go make it. They gave us uh, the money and uh, they said, don't go over budget and you know, revise the script to make it work for the money we've given you. And don't come back to us until it's done. <laughs> yeah, the, the only other was, st stipulation you had was, I need a monster truck in it. And uh, that's pretty much mm -hmm. it. Yeah. <laughs> that was a big stipulation. I was like, I need a monster truck. I need a pit in a nunnery to yep. fall into. Yeah, like, I could do oh. it all if I got those um, two things. All, and all, that month, who would have known all those pits and nunneries were rented out? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wedding we wedding season, right, man. <laughs> you know, right during the Trump, you know, Trump election, of course, there was a lot of pits opening up. Yep. To yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he was, he was renting most of them. Yep, <laughs> most of his pits. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, was uh, worshipping at all of them. So, uh, yeah, 666 had changed everything. So That's right. Um, so that sounds yeah, actually... It was, it, was, uh, it was great working with Netflix. I just have to say they, um, they, they, gave me, they gave me the money and a lot of leeway to just go make the movie. That's so, great. I and you answered basically every other follow-up question I possibly could have had about that, <laughs> right, but yeah. I am slightly curious. Um, unlike, a, say, a, a Tucker and Dale or any other movie that goes to the theaters where you can kind of see revenue streams and ticket sales, how does Netflix work as a creator? Like, do you actually get any idea of how your film is doing? Do you get any level of ratings? I mean, yes, but no. Um, yes, they do tell you. Uh, they call you and tell you. And it's actually kind of cool. They give you a breakdown over the globe because they, I mean, they release in like 200 territories, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and then they'll say, you know, like, for instance, the whole month we were out, we were like number one in Latin America and we were number one in the subcontinent of Africa. Wow. <laughs> and we were, we were in the top 10 yeah. in all 200 territories of all yeah. their films. So they give me like a generalized information like that, um, which is cool. It, it's not as cool as a box office report that says, you know, you've done really well and, and here's a check. Right. Um, so it, it, is, it is a little more vague. It's a little bit more of, like it feels a little bit more like a, um, I don't know, like a blue collar job. Like you punch in your clock and then you, 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 you work your ass off, you come out with a movie, you deliver it, and then you're just on to the next thing. There's no, there's not a whole lot of hoopla when it's released. It's like, okay, it's on, you're yeah. on Netflix, you're like, woo, okay, and, what's next? Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know? So, 
So, it, it doesn't even feel like the film festival circuit where, you know, there's so much, there's so much energy and kind of enthusiasm around what's going to be new and coming out. And I feel like Netflix has so much coming out every week that you get that for a few days and then everybody's on to the next thing. So, yeah. um, but at the same time, I got to make the film and kind of get it off of, out of my body and yeah, uh, <laughs> onto the screen. Get that, get that baby out. And actually, we mentioned, you know, uh, going on to moving on to the next thing. Uh, that's actually, I know, I feel kind of greedy even asking this because Little Evil came out not that long ago. And I know we've got to wait a little while for Tucker and Dale. But do you have anything in the pipeline? Anything, uh, you know, what's next for Eli Craig? Well, I don't think you're greedy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's like the, the thing is, you know, always, you know, what, what are you doing next? You and, owe us. Um, yeah. You know, what are you doing now? Yeah. What are you doing now, kid? Um, uh so, you know, hopefully this thing, next thing is going to work. I mean, I, I sold the show to Amazon that um, I'm working with Blumhouse and Red Hour, who's oh, uh, Red Hour's Ben Stiller's company. So uh, we went around and, and pitched a, a new uh, horror comedy called Corporate Retreat. <laughs> and, Sounds uh, wonderful it's already. It's going to be about a group of guys that go on their corporate retreat and don't come back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> nice. And, uh, and so there's a lot of uh, problems happen on this, and uh, it's kind of like, you know, like a Ten Little Indians uh, desperate to survive in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and uh, it, it's really fun because I get to skewer and satirize corporations and the corporate world and then also uh, these sort of retreats that, you know, in a way, I used to work on these. I used to do outward bound retreats, so it it reminds me a little bit of those. It's it's an adventure retreat. Um, yeah, you get to mix some of there your will be a lot of, worlds. So a lot of death and mayhem, and a lot of uh, a lot of uh, yeah. Every, basically, everybody's going to die. Yeah, well, you should treat yourself with a little bit of the budget. Make sure to set up enough money aside to get a new head made for you, so you can actually finally get that back and Good. you know keep it in your fridge or whatever it is. Really good point. Yeah, I better. I can't even think of that. Yeah, I man. should just. I a little thing for me so I can get a new head made. Yeah, just yeah. Put yourself in one up. scene, get your head blown up or whatever it needs, but not, but you know, decapitated so you can keep it and then uh, toss it in your fridge, keep it around. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I don't know. Every time, like, you know, I I was in Tucker and Dale basically because we didn't have somebody to play that role, and I was like, well, I'll just do this. That's how low budget Tucker and Dale was, and then um, I did this little tiny cameo in Little Evil. And while I was doing it opposite Adam Scott, all I really wanted to do was be behind the camera and seeing what was going on. It was driving me nuts yep. that I was in front of the camera, and I felt like I was missing what I really needed to be doing. <laughs> and, um, and not just that, it kind of sucked. I was like, oh, I have to walk over here. And, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. like acting just felt to me like, oh, this isn't my job anymore. Like, I want to just hire somebody to do this. So you I just, just you're breaking the, the fourth wall, just staring at the camera the entire time. Be like, oh, my oh God. cut, because I've stared at the camera. Sorry. No. <laughs> and, and it was so funny because Evangeline Lilly is like, then she's sitting in the director's chair and she's like calling over me. She's like, not as stiff, Craig. Like, relax. <laughs> relax yourself. You look like you're so stiff. <laughs> <Shut> up, <TV. laughs> I'm in the wrong place. <laughs> uh, but, 
Um, I'm doing the best I can here. <laughs> you know? Storm off the set of your own movie. Uh, well, we, uh, we this is where we're going to move actually into uh, our 10 questions so we can keep on, on track here. These, uh, as we explained to you before the show, are 10 questions you've uh, likely never been asked in an interview before. We try to keep these as light as possible. And uh, the first one actually pertains to uh, a movie I know you're familiar with and uh, a fan of. And, uh, Scott, we're going to, I guess you could take the e- odds and I'll take the evens. Yeah, sounds good. And uh, this first odd question is something we ask to everyone as a warm up. So this is just uh, this is just something we've asked everyone. Still softball. Uh, who's your favorite Ghostbuster? Oh well, that's that's obvious. But it's 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 really Bill Murray, but it's also really Harold Ramis. Like, because yeah. Harold Ramis is one of my like I just as a director and as a writer, I am or am a huge fan yeah. of you know Harold Ramis and uh, I was actually like devastated when he passed but um, but Bill Murray uh, is, is is sort of the comedy guy I write to like he's the guy I'm always like well shit who's Bill Murray now like what? you know even with Tucker and Dale he you know um, Dale you know either of those guys basically could have been a Bill Murray character mm-hmm. um, and and Adam Scott is is you know, my God, if you know Bill Murray were around, uh, so that kind of comedy—I don't know—that's what I grew up with. He, he, as a comedian, Bill Murray is my favorite, but Harold Ramis takes the cake as far as like diversity of writing, directing, and acting. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, and, and Bill Murray actually—they—they they both have lines that are my favorite from those movies, which are hard to. I've got Back Off Man. I'm a scientist is one of my faves, and uh, and yeah. I had I had a. Uh, part of a slinky once, but I straightened it. Is uh, is one of the other ones I absolutely <laughs> love. Uh, but, um, yeah. But, uh, moving on, number two. Um, if you could pick any other decade in history, time travel, whatever, to be a director, when would that be? Uh, it would be 1930. Uh, 1920. <laughs> It'd be Lumiere. Lumiere just scaring the shit out of people with a train coming at the uh, oh, right, at yeah. the screen. Yeah. And, and making everybody scream or doing man on the moon and you know coming up with the most creative way possible to do these special effects and it really was easy to scare stories. people back then it, it was but that, like anything oh. on the screen was like i can't even believe like there are people up there oh my god and the people like ran out of a, a theater screaming because uh, they thought a actual train was coming at them yeah uh, I can't. I can't do that anymore. Oh, That's man, what yeah. I'm trying to do with my movies. The but bar's I can't a bar's a little succeed. little crazy. I don't know if it's higher or lower technically, but it's it's pretty crazy. I, I, I secondly, I love the the '90s because I feel like there's a whole lot of room for independent film to really succeed in the in the uh, sort of Tarantino, you know, in indie age. Yeah. Um, so that would be the second choice. Yeah, good choices. All right, uh, number three, and we're going to name drop your mom here. <laughs> your mom played Aunt mm-hmm. May in the Amazing Spider-Man series. Who is your yeah. favorite superhero? My favorite superhero is Dale Dobkin, the hillbilly superhero from Tucker and Dale. <laughs> Beautiful. Oh, you brought yourself right into it. <laughs> Great. Uh, yeah, I always thought that those guys be a good superheroes um you know yeah i'm gonna go with that i'm sticking with that yeah what the hell man they're gonna be hillbilly superheroes i I had a follow-up had you picked like a marvel or dc character and it was who would you cast your mom as in that movie 
Um, <laughs> but I, I guess I could still ask it. If you could throw your mom into Tucker and Dale versus Evil, who would she be to replace a pre-existing character? I think she would be a really hilarious police officer. That would, that would be cool. Oh, yeah. the, the nail like real, board in the head guy. Yeah. yeah, she could be a real like hard ass yeah. too. Just yeah. Um, once yeah, ag- once again, you just want to hurt your mom. Jeez, man, come on! Like, god uh, damn, she's like, she, Eli, just chill. She's, <laughs> she's, she's a legend, man. Come on. Uh, <laughs> all right, uh, number. She was in Forrest Gump. You <laughs> can't on. hurt her, Eli. Eli, she was in Forrest Gump. I know, I know, but I, you know, it. The the thing that I think, um, yes, is that I I think it's a crack up that she has this like illustrious career. And obviously, has like you know, is 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 an amazing actress. And I am like, mom, will you play this role where you're like a, a CPS, you know, child protective services lady, and sort of like a nun, and you get your ass kicked at the end, and she's like, oh sure, honey. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it it cracked me up, and and it, yeah, I think it shows what a good sport she is. For, for doing it, but um, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, we got uh, number four. This is a theoretical or a hypothetical here. So you're given a job writing a creature feature, and you need to create a new monster out of three existing animals. What three animals will you mix to make the perfect killing machine? Wow. Okay. Cool. Uh, I I would mix aliens and uh, like the creature from Aliens mm-hmm. yep. with. Um, with the creature from, um, what is that little, uh, like, with Golem? So he's like a talking, you know, yeah. Golem yeah. guy. Uh, and then and then I'd have to mix him with, um, like, Puff the Magic Dragon. Oh, so, oh that's you know, so like a little... That's... And then you maybe see, because he smokes a lot of weed. Yep. And <laughs> <laughs> just just chilling, and he, smoking and weed, like, looking for his ring. His yep. And you see, and you see everything from his point of view, and he'd be just sort of an isolated, sad creature that just wanted to get along with everybody. <laughs> yeah, that would be my version. Yeah, but but everybody's right. frightened because it also is sort of uh, xenomorphic too. So. All right, uh, but everybody runs away, dies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, number five. Uh, what's your favorite guilty pleasure after a full day of work? Um. Smoking pot. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much everybody's. Yeah, it's it's illegal in our states now. I can say that. Yeah. Um, I was so uh, hoping yeah, for like you know asphyxiating a midget. Yeah. Oh jeez. Yeah. Eating <laughs> a midget. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, that's number that. two. But, that. but, yeah. yeah. Only after I've had some weed. Um, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Only if I'm out. Uh, number six, uh, if you got a sandwich named after you, what would be in it? What would the Eli Craig on a menu look like? Uh, Eli Craig would be, like, everything on it, for sure. It would be, like, every type of sandwich kind of combined into one, ideally that tastes somewhat interesting. <laughs> somewhat fun interesting. I think it would have to taste interesting. It's probably questionable whether there should be so many ingredients on one sandwich. Oh, very good. That, I like that. that. Would... That's, that's, a, that's a good good analogy. Alright, uh, next one, number seven. Uh, reboots and remakes are super popular right now. If you could take any pre-existing comedy movie and remake it as a horror comedy, which would you pick? A pre-existing comedy movie and make it as a horror comedy? Yeah, yeah pure, like, like Caddyshack with blood. That'd be cool. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah that actually would be cool. <laughs> yeah. 
That's basically what I'm doing right now. So, you know, corporate retreat in the woods. Uh, um, the the one that I think should be a horror film that is is on right now um, is is what is the um, uh, the one with uh, Jane Fonda and the, like the old Jane Fonda on Netflix, where I feel like two old the two old women kind of, oh. you know, it's a, but they end up in the middle of a horror movie. Like, I've never seen two middle-aged or older women in a freaking horror movie, you know? That would be Together. really cool. Like, yeah. It's, it's funny, too, because I was just so, thinking the uh, other day of having, like, a, of being like, oh, they should make, like, a Thelma and Louise, but, like, comedy really horror. dark. Like, yeah, yeah, with, like, a darker twist to it um, and comedy. But, yeah, that would be, that would be sweet, man. It would be like Golden Girls meets yeah. gets all mashed up with uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Freddy Krueger. Golden Krueger's. Girls meets, meets Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, yeah dude. That's, oh, that's, my that, God. That's, that's, that sells it, I, man. That would be, you just sold two tickets. Yeah, yeah drop everything, Eli. <laughs> we got a new thing. Um, we get writing credits, right? 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ideas are cheap, man. We're getting cut out of this one. We work uh, for uh, free. I, we I, just I, want our name on the screen. Uh, all right, uh, we got number eight. Uh, which is the scarier cult classic killer? Killer tomatoes or killer clowns from outer space? Oh, you know, I I, to, I have to go with killer tomatoes I love because yeah. I saw that movie when I was that age. Uh, I don't know what I was. I was like six, five or six. Yeah, it came out like 78, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and I even remember the song, and that's another Tag movie I killer think. Killer tomatoes. Like, we need, I need, we should all, we should just get together and remake Attack the Killer Tomatoes. Oh, absolutely, man. It needs I, to be done. I, I love that movie. I remember seeing it. I remember renting it thinking it was like a serious horror movie when I was I was in elementary school and realizing that it sort of was and sort of wasn't and just being – and since then, it's just been one of my absolute favorite, you know, classics. I watch it later in life and realize how much of more of a real, like, you know, intentional parody kind of thing it was. But, was man. Was George Clooney in part two? I have no idea. I don't know if I ever saw part two. I'm pretty sure George Clooney is credited for part two. <laughs> That's interesting. Just the... I, I think it's his highest credit on Rotten Tomatoes. It's yeah. like it goes like <laughs> starts with that, and then Brother, Where Art Thou? Is yeah. After that, and yeah, I know. Yeah, it's just like know, that's gravity, his gravity. After that, but yeah, that's, achievement. that's awesome credit. I wish I had that. <laughs> I'll take it. All right, uh, number nine. Uh, your first acting role was in a Stephen King movie sequel. What is your favorite Stephen King property? And this could be either a book or a movie. Well, right now it's um, it's Mr. Mercedes. Uh, <coughs> that I don't know. If, I, I know it's been the book has been adapted. Is it out yet? I think it's out. Um, but he wrote a trilogy of of, of a new like a new everything he does is so awesome. Um, oh yeah, yeah. The shine. You know what? It's The Shining, though. The Shining is so awesome. Yeah, that's um, that's been one of my fav or my absolute fave for forever. It's hard to pick, though, man. He's got so many good ones. Yeah. Um, how could he be that great? I mean, how could he's like one of those people you really? I spent my life kind of worrying about. <laughs> how could he be okay? This guy's this guy's in trouble. We need to help him. And then you realize <laughs> he's fine. He's chilling he's in Maine. Fine. Yeah. He's just like yeah. I got, I got hit by a car once, but uh, other than that, I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, speaking of The Shining, they are going into pre-production on the uh, Shining sequel based yeah, and on it's, this uh, book. Mike Flanagan, I believe, was tasked for yeah, it was actually writing or directing. Yeah, doing that. Yeah, yeah they I believe, are yeah. going into oh, pre-production. Yep, sounds pretty cool. That's going to be cool. I love, I, I love his work. I love Mike. 
playing against. Yeah, Hurley. yeah. I can't remember That's if he's tasked to just write or director. I can't remember what I thought he was directing. But, I'm not sure. Um, myself. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a big Mike Flanagan fan. Um, I'm, I'm sure he's both. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, deserves- it seems, he would have that kind of pull, I think, at this point. Um, and, last uh, question. Yeah, we got the last question for you, man. And uh, you know, we don't like to get super political on the show or anything, but uh, I just want to you know hear your take on this, and feel free to go as as nuts either way as you want in ten words or less, or a hundred or whatever. Uh, <laughs> no, no, nobody ever pays attention to the ten words, but in ten words or less, offer your predictions for the rest of Mr. Donald Trump's presidency. Um. I used to think I could predict this a little better than I can. <laughs> no, it, it's, I, I, the rest of it will be only equally or more chaotic than has been. And Good choice of words, people, chaotic. People are going to get tired of this shitty rerun, uh, terrible reality show. And I'm amazed that they aren't yet. But then again, I thought people would be tired of the Kardashians by now, too. Yeah, they're, they're so, going uh, well into getting closer to the decade old, I think, at this point or whatever. But and, and hopefully we don't have to deal with uh, presidency for quite that long. But uh, we'll see. You know, I'll give you one word. Exhausting. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's, that's, I already feel that after one year. And I was I, they hit the one-year mark. I was like, oh, my God, one year. Like we three times more of that. I'm just uh, happy to be alive, honestly. You know, I thought we got a close one with those uh, nukes, but, uh, you know, we'll see. I think when you set the bar that low, it's kind of dangerous, though, where you're like, you know, you're just happy to be alive. Yeah. (laughs) That's come a long way from a few years ago, what we hope to be doing. And I worry that now everybody's like, well, it's not so bad. Like, you know, we don't have democracy, but we're alive. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, when it's when it's only shitty and not like we're all like dead, people are like it's pretty good, isn't it? And you actually you don't actually look back even. You're it is it's myopic. You're not even looking back five years on it. You're just being like, oh, today's fine because it wasn't like yesterday. So it's pretty scary. <laughs> yeah, it is amazing. Sort of the democratizing of what everybody thought, like the sort of democratizing of the media and you know social media and facebook and everybody's like oh i have a voice now i can voice my shit on twitter i can voice it here and there but alongside that is how powerless everybody really is mm-hmm. or seems to be yeah to do anything so everybody could complain out loud as much as they want but nobody can really do anything because this guy really is right now with his his uh group he's the emperor uh without clothes yeah and Ugh. You know, there's a bunch of people that are just going to follow them right off a cliff. And enough that they could take our whole system of government with them. So He almost sounds like a horror movie villain. Like, you could have a comedy horror movie where he goes to Mar-a-Lago, everyone around him, he's dying, but he's like, oh, I didn't see yeah. it happen. But he's the killer. But he's fucking Chad. I mean, he is Chad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dude, so, oh my God. Like, yeah. he just murders everyone around him. He's like, oh, I don't know. I didn't see it. I was, <laughs> I was chipping my, with my wedge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, how golf, that's how golf people talk, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big sports guy. We all know that. <laughs> it's like a combination of a lack of morality and power and, like, seeing things through his little lens of uh, his little, like, narcissistic point of view has created a world where it's totally us against them, them you mm-hmm. know? And and he's out to defend himself from a world that's out to get him. Oh, purely himself, and yeah. he's freaking Chad. He's reached a point where he's going to take out whoever he needs to take out 
to like prove his point of view, uh, even though his point of view is fiction. So uh, we we know. we also get writing credits on this script. Oh yeah, we, we, we've, <laughs> helped, we've helped put down like five new movies, but the first one we need to pipeline uh, put in the pipeline quick is Golden Girls meets Chainsaw Massacre. Though um, we yeah, got that, that one. one I, that one's easy to sell. I'm going I, in tomorrow. Yeah, I, I, I want that to be a film so bad. I might even start writing. Yeah, that. Let's, like, let's, holy let's, you know, crap! I think we, we'll, we'll start a Google Doc. Uh, you know, get a couple pages in. And you're uh, going to go online and find out there's 19 versions of it that already exist. I wish, man. If well, I, I know that's what you always think, you know, but but. You know, I guess that'll be the one time I'll have to call up my mom again and say, "All right, I got one more." Yeah, you yeah. gotta do. You're doing this. <laughs> yeah, let's you gotta, do this. Yeah, you gotta, <laughs> there. Uh, well, we, uh, right, we let's do this. every time yeah. someone dies, you need it piped in like, "Thanks for being a friend." Pepper the whole thing in with canned laughter and applause, and we're good at all the wrong ties. Well, uh. We uh, definitely appreciate you taking the time out. Oh, we ended on a real positive note with the world ending uh, under Trump's presidency. We like to do that here at Lost at Home. And um, is there anything else you want to add before we uh, sign off from this interview? Oh, no, that was fun, guys. Thanks for the call. Absolutely, man. Oh, excellent. Yeah, thank you very much for being on. And uh, we hope everyone who's listening has enjoyed this interview. Yeah, and... also, if not, uh, I'll, I'll come back next time. <laughs> come back awesome. next week for a new interview. And Eli Craig Daniel. is our third co-host now. We're just going to keep rolling this on. Yep. <laughs> All right, <laughs> okay, guys. Take care. Thanks a lot. Awesome. Thanks again, Eli Craig, for sitting down and chatting with us, taking time out of your uh, busy Hollywood liberal schedule. And um, I said that really rudely, but I was actually, we very much appreciate when people take like an entire hour out of their day to talk to a lowly uh, East Coast podcast about uh, about their stuff. And he had a, a good time talking with us and had some great things to say. And he's a good horror geek and had a similar horror upbringing to the two of us, except for the fact that he lives in uh, L.A. and his mom's an Oscar winning actor. But other than that. Um, and his wife is uh, we didn't even oh, mention during that, the interview but she was the yellow power ranger that's right uh, he's, he's the married reason, to uh, Sasha Williams yep yep. and uh, so again thank you Mr. Eli Craig everybody check his stuff out if you haven't seen Tucker and Dale vs. Evil you don't have to be a horror movie fan to even love that movie comedy fan would work yeah just, just a good or movie a fan, fan of just, movies just, just be a fan of life and you'll enjoy it um you heard us mention a little a little joke in there that I really want to get off the ground. It'd be great to actually make not literally the Golden Girls, but a spec script that's like Golden Girls meets uh, or like a little you know concept of Golden Girl meets Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, and because of that, we're actually going to go out on the Golden Girls theme song this this week, just because uh, you know it fits, right? Yeah, works for me. All right, yeah, cool. Well, uh, that's it. Get lost. I right, get lost. Picture it, Sicily, nineteen twenty. Thank you.